another world, another time in the age of wonder. You are listening to Trial by Stone. Trial by Stone. Trial by Stone. This is what I came for. Your vital essence, the dark crystal. I can feel something. Hear it almost. Don't move. Don't move? Where would I go? Quiet! And here's your hosts, Philip Mitchell and Bland Garrett. Hello and welcome to Trail by Stone and this is episode 35 for the podcast of May 2017. This month we're going to continue the discussion of Shadows of the Dark Crystal. Um, this is a novel that was written by J.M. Lee, um, and who, for listeners that don't know, um, years ago uh, at, at the, Jim, the Jim Henson Company and DarkCrystal.com, uh, they organised a, a AuthorQuest uh, writing competition, and um, and there was a lot of entries, you know, for submitting uh, short stories. Um, uh, telling the story, you know, within the Dark Crystal universe, uh, or the, the world of Thra, um, essentially, and um, and J- and JM Lee uh, won, and um, and the result was the Shadows of the Dark Crystal book um, that was released uh, last year, and is part of a four book series with um, Song of the Dark Crystal. Is it Song of Songs? I'm just, now I'm just trying to think. <laughs> I think it's Songs. Song. All right, I'll just. Start, start scratch about that a bit with his new with with his second book songs of the dark crystal uh due to be released in july of 2017 so lots of dark crystal uh coming out and um it's it's very awesome times and so for this month we're still continuing our discussion of the book uh the last episode we discussed about chapters one to five so if you haven't read the book or whatnot you know there are going to be spoilers in this discussion so um i suggest you know if you haven't read the book go read the book and then listen to our previous episode um (laughs) or if you don't want to you know just feel free to follow along with us and (laughs) and um yeah we'll have a good time um so i guess introductions in order my name is philip mitchell and i'm the host and also, um, we've got, um, my co-host, uh, Bland Garrett. Bland, how you doing? Hello, hello. Good to be back. Excellent, as always. And, and, uh, we got, we got a, a couple of guests, uh, to help with this, uh, discussion as well. We've got, uh, Peter M. Peter, thanks for joining. Hi, thanks for having me again. It's great to be here. Excellent. Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, last but not least, of course, uh, uh, Nancy Gray. So Nancy, uh, just want to say thanks for coming to the discussion. Uh, thank you for inviting me. I'm glad to be back. Cool, cool. <laughs> All right. So um, I guess, yeah, I guess we'll we'll get things started. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll start from uh, Chapter 6 um, of Shadows of the Dark Crystal. Um, so the thing that I sort of noted was, um, there was a dream, uh, that she was having, um, that, um, whether that was sort of a foreboding thing to the, you know, for the beginning of sort of the prophecy 
um, that we get to see in uh, in the film. Mm-hmm. Well, here at the beginning, she's kind of like she's she's now set out to go on this journey by herself. And I was looking at the map, and it looks to me like her journey is actually it seems like it's a lot longer than Jen's journey was in the film. Um, if you look, she starts it all the way at the bottom of the map and goes all the way up to the top, the silver sea. So mm-hmm. I haven't really compared it to the map of the film, but it seems like her journey is a lot longer than Jen's was. And she's kind of preparing herself for this. She's making her own bolas, which I think is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, she just, yeah, I, I mean, she just dream fasted with a darkened nebri that was huge. <laughs> so she yeah. still has that kind of weighing on her. Well, plus just the fact that she hasn't even hardly journeyed outside of her swamp, the swamp. So a lot of things are kind of, she feels like a lot of things are kind of stacked against her. And there's so many times where she just kind of wants to turn around and go back, but she keeps pressing right. on. It might be the length of her journey is kind of um, sy- symbolic of the fact that it's just a big journey just to leave home in and of itself, at least for her. Yeah, and um, I've actually made that comparison, Bland, um, about the map from the movie versus Naya's journey. And uh, I don't think that you can say in any way that uh, distance-wise, Jen's journey is epic, whereas Naya's would be. So, right. I mean, uh, the big thing about epic stories is that there's usually a lot of walking involved over great distances. You know, take uh, The Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. where you see so many shots of New Zealand, where they're on top of ridges or, you know, going through vast vistas and landscapes. Um, and I think that qualifies here in this book. Yeah. She's also never, I, I kept thinking of, um, <laughs> I don't know if you all have seen the show Naked and Afraid, where they, people like, go out into these extreme environments like in Africa and in the deserts and where there's these intense environments and wild animals and they have to like survive for like three weeks and they're just, Mm -hmm. they start out naked. I mean, if they want, they can kind of make their own coverings or their own shoes and whatnot. And she kind of does that here. She's like on this journey. And I kept thinking, man, those bare feet. And she was talking about how yeah. as soon as she kind of left the swamp, um, the ground started getting drier and harder. And it was her feet weren't used to it. And it was mm-hmm. kind of cutting them. And so she fashioned her own sandals with tree bark. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It just kind of seemed like she's doing all these like survival things, which I think is kind of cool. It would be one of the first things that would catch your attention, your feet. I mean, just speaking from experience, if you've ever walked um, back to like a uh, walked out of when you're walking on the beach and you have bare feet and then you walk like on the road or something, it really hurts, you know, because of um, going from from um, gravelly pavement to front of sand. And for her, for her feet. She's used to walking around in the swamp where she doesn't really need shoes or anything like that. But that would be one of the first things that would really be getting to her would be these textures on her feet that she just hasn't adapted to having. And, um, you know, she was getting cuts and scrapes and it it must have been agonizing for her, which is why she stopped to make the sandals. And I thought that was very, you know, 
in the good ingenuity of it, the fact she was able to make something so she could keep going. Because at that point, it really would have been easy to turn around and go back. But, but it's uh, such a small thing, though. You know, just you didn't think about it until you got to this new environment. Oh, I need to yeah. have a ring because I'm cold or a hat for the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually had that experience uh, when I went to Arizona a few years ago. I didn't have a hat. And I learned very quickly that the sun is not your friend, <laughs> even <laughs> really here. <laughs> but with uh, the expectation of, you know, changing surfaces, I mean, it's a different path that you're taking. So, you know, the feet representing, you know, home, uh, they're damaged by it. So, you know, they have to, Naya has to adapt in order to move to this new environment. Um, to make another Lord of the Rings reference, the hobbits didn't have to. You know, they had throughout the whole film so although it's not a comparison it's something that nobody ever thought about the hobbits just kind of walked everywhere and they never had shoes um i even recently saw a film called the crude c-r-o-d-s where oh i know what you're talking that animated film yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) Uh, they really noticed some very sharp glass underground at one point so um but you know this is very interesting just because of what it represents is that the world is a harsh place outside the swamp and mm-hmm. she has to adapt or she won't make it it's it mentioned that it's a harsh place within the swamp too but her people are so adapted to it that it's her home and the harsh things to evapora are not the same harsh things to someone who lives in Sog, you know exactly so it's it's interesting that it's like even just going outside of her home, just in this chapter where she hasn't gotten very far, it's already becoming difficult to adjust to the environment. And she has a long way to go with a lot of other places that she's going to have to learn to adapt to. I thought that was very telling. This this is just, it's not off topic, but I loved when Nietzsche ate the glowing moss and lit the way. I was, I thought that's that on was the tip so of my cool. tongue. I was just going to say that. As soon as, yeah. <laughs> I was like, uh-huh. this whole chapter is basically her starting out the journey by herself. And she's reflecting on what just happened and what's basically where she's going. And and she's kind of, it's evening time. She's kind of, she's, she even gathers some of the moss. She's making bolas. She's, she's preparing to try to get as far as, she even says this, like she's, thinking that she needs to get as far as possible because if she doesn't then she's just going to turn around and go back mm-hmm. so if she can get as far as possible before before she camps then you know she'll probably be good the next day which is what she does she she finds a, a field with these red flowers in it and she finds a cluster of trees and she makes camp mm-hmm. but yeah i think that was really c- cool that and that Nietzsche could eat the glowing moss and then glow himself <laughs> yeah <laughs> I like I like a lot of his animals and um, all the different sort of things. One of, I think, uh, J.M. Lee's strengths is that he doesn't do much real-world comparisons, but he paints a vivid enough picture that you get a good idea of how things look. Right. You know? That just thought that was really interesting, the thought of it eating this moss and being able to glow because the moss was glowing within it. Because I guess eels kind of have thin, well, they seem to have thin skin. So it's one of those things, I guess I could kind of see it, and I thought it was really interesting. 
Well, it's also that also goes into when she wakes up in the morning because then like all the flowers are open on the trees and there's all these mm-hmm. little creatures flying from flower to flower that mm-hmm. are adapted to you know they're adapted to pollinate and drink from these flowers and it's just like this whole other little world when the sun's around yeah and um yeah and just yeah for me with the chapter like yeah i i really liked sort of the, the little passage of her dream um that is very sort of reminiscent of um whether that's you know to do you know foreshadowing sort of the um the creation of the world of destiny sort of you know um oh, yeah her hands mm-hmm. were linked yeah with one another's grasping and sharing visions with each other around with Ra and so well i'm yeah. i'm pretty were... sure that's exactly what that is it's foreshadowing the yeah. the actual communal dream fast that they have to create the wall of destiny which is written out in the book of agra the world of the dark crystal i think it was also interesting that it was two people on either side of her so it was that whole three symbolism again which we got a lot of in the comic with the, the three suns and in this in this book the three moons and things like that I thought that was actually kind of significant that that might have been done on purpose. Actually, I think it was. There's a line here. It says, every third step, the knee-high grass rustled nearby as something stamped mm-hmm. every third step. Now, little touches like that reinforce it, even when you're not consciously noting it. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. Very, um, very good attention to detail in that. Did you all read his, his short story? His submission. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you did you all, when when I read that I had this intense like vision of Avatar and them like running through the glowing forest and the way she was like running through the treetops in the beginning of his story and it mm-hmm. and and when reading this book I don't get Avatar anymore. It's kind of like I mean yeah I see similarities but. It's. It, it, I like the way he structured the the novel. I don't get that sense of intense life that you get from Avatar. I mean, in certain parts of the movie, it's just overwhelming the amount of life. But in this book, it seems like it's happening without being in your face. Mm-hmm. Which is probably a good thing. I mean... You want to know that there's life all around, but at the same time, you don't want it to distract from the story itself or the characters. I think there's a good balance of it in here because right, right. there's good descriptions of um, the wildlife and of the plant life that actually moves around and like the trees that curl in on themselves to defend themselves. It's interesting, but it's not all up in your face. Like that's what this is about. Hey, let's just put this animal in just to put it in type thing. It it feels kind of more organic than that. Right. In my opinion. I like how he, he, well, he also puts in these little moments where the, 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 they pay attention to the, where the suns are. Mm-hmm. Like you do in the film, every every now and then you see like where the three suns are. They're getting a little closer and a little closer. <laughs> Whereas it's like, okay, we, we've got the great sun reaches the apex. You know, she's climbs down. You know, I like how he has the little sun moments here and there. And it also mm-hmm. does that in the um, the original Apple video game. Like every now and then, there's these little moments where you can look at the suns and it has a different little screen for him. And, um, so I guess, yeah, like, um, 
yeah, so basically, yeah, she's going through her journey, um, had trouble with her sandal, um, and, and eventually got it fixed. And then she, uh, approaches, uh, someone, uh, with, um, uh, with Brent, with a brown face and black eyes, uh, approaches her sort of described in that way. Um, mm-hmm. which I guess takes, a I like her. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I like her curse <laughs> when she curses, she says knots in a rope. <laughs> <laughs> it's so innocuous but it's definitely drenching mm-hmm. it's, it's a practical thing it's there's knots in this rope i can't use it well yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> like you know a shoe but they don't wear shoes like if i if i go back then who will go forward yeah so yeah i, I guess yeah we're up to uh chapter seven and um i think it's interesting <laughs> Yeah, with with the um, <laughs> uh, with the um, podlings. Um, yeah, <laughs> because because it, it seems like that with this uh, with this particular podling, um, it can actually speak English. Um, whereas I guess you know, Gelfling. Oh, speaks Gelfling. Yes, I should say Gelfling. speaks Gelfling. Because <laughs> um, I mean, in in the film, um, yeah. yeah, they don't talk you know Gelfling at all. That you know, it's just their own language and that's it um so yeah i was very fascinated about well, um about that yeah i, th- I think it's because it had been so long since they had seen a girlfling in the yeah, film exactly I th- it was funny the podling actually seems to think it's kind of funny that she doesn't know any podling and you know it's like he's not really teasing in a bad way he seems kind of jolly about it but he's like only speak girlfling ha huh? you know like well um I can speak more than podling. I think it's almost like he can see, he thinks it's kind of weird that she can't speak any podling, you know? And she seems so confused by the look of him. And he's lived near Gelflings probably his whole life. So I guess kind of to him, it's strange for her not to have been exposed to podlings before. So I thought that was kind of well, cool. And he's never seen a green gelfling before. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't ask if she's sick, which I found interesting. You know, we often, as humans, associate people who are green with people who aren't well. He just takes it in stride. Oh, you're green. Like, you know, oh, you're purple. Mm-hmm. Well, he might know a little bit about the culture and that there are different types of gelflings. I mean, there probably have been... Maybe not um, a gr- someone from Sog before, but there have probably been other types of Gelfling who have passed through there. And it's definitely kind of a settlement on the road in between two places, so they probably get a little bit of foot travel. But like I said, probably not from Sog, because it doesn't sound like people from Sog, unless they have a specific reason, venture very far. Right. Which so far that we've seen is if you're called to work at the castle, <laughs> but even, <Yeah. laughs> even but we find out later that they don't even take census on the the drenching, so yeah, mm-hmm. that was another interesting thing that I pr- we'll probably go into um a little bit later um yeah about that um yeah so so now so she reaches you know so the Spartan clan and asks for the hospitality and and, and they agree. Um, that's Sammy Thicket. Yeah, Sammy Thicket. Yes, <laughs> yeah, and um, and sort of yeah mentions again that you know that she's very overwhelmed and 
you know, the fact that she's never been to a Gelfling village before. Um, and, um, but then she, uh, approaches, uh, um, a boy, uh, you know, two directions, uh, to see the, um, the old Moldra, uh, Moldra mirror. Um, and, um, and I'm just trying to think and which he does. And, um, and, and so, yeah, she, she finds the Moldra mirror and, um, uh, again, yeah, asks for hospitality and, and, um, then she actually finds out about the, that the Lords are going to be visiting, um, the clan tonight. Um, uh, as you said earlier, I guess, um, uh, you know, doing the whole, uh, the census thing, um, tonight. Um, and yeah, I mean, because I guess like, cause Nea's never seen, um, uh, you know, a Skeksis law that, yeah, she's very, um, excited by the prospect um and um uh, well here she's at this this her first gelfling village that she's ever been to besides her own and we also see that not only is it well it's spriten but they live and interact very closely with the podlings it's almost as Mm -hmm. as if it's a shared village um, I don't know if the podlings live there or if they work or help them, but I mean, they're there for the, for the festival that's about to start, which is, mm-hmm. um, what do they call it? The, um, oh, that fruit. Oh, the fruit. Uh, cherry squash, wasn't it? Cherry squash. There we go. Mm-hmm. Roasted cherry squash. Mm-hmm. Sweet and sour. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, this is, this is the first just, time that she's ever had to like put on her formality. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she reflects on how Tavra was when she first came into, into their village and she kind of was like, basically mimics what she did, just not as flowery as she puts it. Does anyone else hate Maldromera as much as I do? Because... <laughs> Oh, she's so condescending. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, oh. Well, I think that's, she's, well, f- for one, she's really busy. I mean, the Skeksis yeah. are coming. They're going to take census. They're going to want to be happy and pleased. And it's so strange that they accept, they still accept them as the keepers of the crystal in the castle. And they believe that there were, how do they put it that there were um, gods the ancient, that put them the in charge? Gods, yeah, ancient gods, yeah. yeah, yeah. So they they don't they don't know that the Erskex split. They think that the Erskex are actually ancient gods, mm. and that they put the Skeksis in charge. And they have, I mean, it's almost like it, it seems like yes, they really need to please the Skeksis lords. But it's almost like they they do have a fear. Mm-hmm. And it's well, not yeah, just they... a fear of not pleasing them. It seems like, oh, these are some big, powerful dudes, and we don't want to piss them off. Yeah, everything they do, it's like it has to be exact to the slightest detail. Like when she's scolding them about burning the cherry squash, you know, <laughs> you'll eat it yourself, but we're not serving that to the Skeksis lords is pretty much what she says. Right. You know? She always, she always has her little things to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
so it's like you could definitely have the feel that she thought that um Naya's presence there was just a nuisance and she's not she doesn't think anything of the people she respects the madra of the um of the the swamp of sog but she basically does not respect their people i think she actually kind of knows the madra probably because i'm i'm guessing the madra of other clans probably have some contact with each other but she you know acts as though Naya is just kind of like there and that she's almost like an animal, you know, <laughs> sits here and will kind of stroke her locks and be like, you know, oh, my little soggy pet. And it's just like, <laughs> it's just one of those things that, just, you know, she's trying to get ready for the Skeksis to be there. And she's almost, it's almost like she's like, just stay out of the way and don't right. even draw attention to yourself because you're beyond this. No one's going to go the- and you know look at your people. <laughs> I mean, the first thing she says is, you Drenchen always know how to be in the right place at the most inconvenient of times, don't you? hmm And she just is like, okay, I'm the Madra, so she's a, from another Gelfling village, and I have to... It's, it's all formality. And she's like, I've got to be nice and everything, but... Man, I mean, why are you here right now, tonight? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Of all the times, yeah. And then, mm. yeah, she basically yeah, tells Naya off, you know, or says, you know, um, to get, go and go and have a have a bath, you know, before, before yeah. the, event, the supper. Would you? You smell of sog, and I wouldn't want anyone's appetite ruined. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you just want... Well, and then Naya is also... She like kind of bites her tongue and you know, she's she's always like taking a deep breath. She's like, Oh man. <laughs> well, I, I just find it fun funny that uh, the Madra knows that she's the daughter of the you know, Sog Madra, but she still says that to her. And she knows all the names. Yeah, she yep. knows all their names. She knew her by name, she knew who she was. Yep. She's but saying, I'll yeah. still consult you. Yeah. yeah. Well, but I with get a big the grin. <laughs> she doesn't have um she does not have a high opinion of those from the Swamp of Sog and thinks that they're Well, they're not important. Beyond she, her. Yeah, exactly. She says you only take census of what's important, meaning mm-hmm. the trenchin are not important. Yep. But she straight up says that. <laughs> mm. It yeah, just she's mm. she she's a piece of work. <laughs> Well, and I haven't read further for for listeners. I haven't read past chapter twelve, but I don't know what it's like when she visits other Gelfling villages further on. Like if they think the same way, like she does. Like, oh, you all aren't important. But it could be that they just don't really know them. You know, they're kind of to themselves. Yeah. I'm going to spoil that, but uh, it's it gets interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I guess yeah. Now we're up to um, chapter eight, um, and um, I'm just trying to think. Um, I think it was interesting. Like there was um, there was something about the, the mention about the Skeksis um, gave the Gelfling technology for agriculture, mining inventions from windships to wheelbarrows, etc. 
Um, so I, I guess I found that interesting because I know in creation myths, um, it was, you know, told that the earth skeks were the ones that, um, gave the things that the Gelflings, um, gave the things to the Gelflings that the, um, the, the, that the Skeksis now are, um, credited for. Um, so I guess whether that's probably just a case of just the memory of the earth skeks just sort of has faded so far away that, um, that I know the Gelflings sort of decide to credit the Skeksis now and, and I guess if if this story is more from a Galfling's point of view, um, in in that sense, um, yeah, well, yeah. There's also well, lifespans to take into account too. You know, mm. five, six, or even ten generations of Galflings may have come and gone. So mm. even for a few generations, if the Skeksis are saying one thing. And the histories of the Gelflings aren't exactly, you know, widespread in libraries. Then, sure, opinion is going to shift. Oh yeah, we did this. We did this for you too. And you know, five generations later, it's taken for granted. Plus, the Skeksis are very manipulative. Oh yeah. More than likely, they they would go into a Gelfling village and say, "Yes, we were the ones who told you, you know, taught you agriculture, taught you all these things," and um, the Urskeks just aren't really, you know, since they've split, you've got um, the Uru, and the Uru no one really sees, and the only thing that the Gelflings have had is what the Skeksis tell them. And I don't know how far ahead this book goes from the creation myths, but history can be warped according to who's telling it. So my guess is the Skeksis have already kind of pretty much told the Gelflings, yes, we're the ones that uh, the Crystal chose, and we're the ones Mm -hmm. that taught you all these things, and eventually the oral history just changed according to what they said, because at that point, there are no sign of the Urskeks, so they don't really have any way to prove otherwise. Well, they don't even call them Urskeks, they're the ancient gods. Yeah, exactly. It, It kind of gets vague and then it's something that the Skeksis can always shape. Right. Well, and they also make the, he also, um, they also make the point here that the bounty that they share with the Gelflings is through all Madra Mehran. So it's, they don't even, it's, it's all word of mouth. Like no one actually sees all this wealth and bounty coming from the Skeksis Lords. It's all just what comes through the Almadra. Mm-hmm. Well, here she re- she reflects on she's never seen a Skeksi, so she's kind of reflects reflecting all the rumors that she's heard about what they look like and whatnot. Yeah, and as you know, she's sort of holding her breath as the you know the ten guards you know bearing leadway torches entered in two rows and and then um, yeah, then we see um, the. Uh, the two skeksis. Well, we skipped that. Oh, we skipped that she had taken a bath. <laughs> she oh, went yeah. down to the river and took a bath. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. now she's like, now the skeksis are coming. So. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Um, so yeah, so we get introduced to the um, the skeksis. Um, uh, Skekok, the scroll keeper, and Skeklak, the collector. Um, and I believe uh, Skeklak was introduced um, in. Legends of the Dark Crystal, 
So, so this is his first appearance, I guess, cannot, you know, in the chronological order. Um, but, um, I guess, you know, for all the listeners out there, you know, um, that were curious if we've, you know, seen Skekluck before, um, I believe we have in, um, the Legends of the Dark Crystal, uh, manga comic. So, um, yeah, which I thought was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, was he, uh, was he also mentioned in, um, the Gelfling Gathering? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Probably is a description. Um, yeah, yeah, he wasn't mentioned. Uh, don't remember uh, much about the reference to him, though. I mean, they had a description of most of the new Skeksis, which was kind of interesting. It's oh, probably still up on the website. Mentioned. Oh, he's not? Hmm. He's not mentioned in Gelfling Gathering. Well, I didn't think of someone else. It's okay. <laughs> oh, and I do it's have the website. It's been a while. That... Yeah, je- definitely check the website for that sort of thing. Skeksis, let's see here. And then go to Skek Black. He doesn't have an official page yet. Mm. It just says Skek Black the Collector. Mm. Okay, yeah. Um, all right, that's all, all good. Um, but yeah, I, I guess like, um, yeah, in this chapter, yeah, we get um, uh, like an illustration of... Um, the Skeksis are arriving um, with the illustrations by Corey Godby. So, um, yeah, yeah. Which, you know, again, you sort of like those illustrations that sort of, you know, uh, follow with the, with the story. And... Um, Two of twice nine. I like how he says that. Yes, yeah. With <laughs> twice nine, I guess, referring to the amount of Skeksis that existed. Because I think when they were split, there were 18, 18 Skeksis right. and 18 um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> Mystics. Well, then, and and then, one one Skeksy and one Uru instantly, yeah, you know, done. one killed, one got killed. Like one of the Skeksis instantly killed an Uru, which also killed a Skeksy. So yeah. there's an unnamed Skeksy and Uru. Yeah. So I don't know. Like I would have thought so there maybe was, they... yeah, there was 18 and then 17 right away. So now we're mm-hmm. now we're here. We've got the two. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I found it interesting, yeah, that they call, you know, yeah, tw- twice of nine, you know, s- stating, I guess, the original number of um, Skeksis that first came, um, even though, you know, the Mystic and the um, uh, Skeksis and the Mystic, you know, sort of pass away so soon. <laughs> it's kind of, yeah. it's also the way this is written is it's kind of through um, Naya's eyes. We we see this world through her. And mm-hmm. it's almost like every time the Skeksis are mentioned, there's always this formality of how she thinks of the Skeksis. She, they're the holders of the castle and protectors of the crystal. You know, it's like that, that has to be in there because <laughs> that's the way she thinks it. Like, these are the Skeksis. Yeah. You know? Well, from the illustration, though, there are these big, scary monsters that almost look like the evil float at a parade. <laughs> well, aren't they, they're riding on these big bird things too that yeah. are kind of crushed by their weight. <laughs> so, well, honestly, huge. I, I'm such a geek. The 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 bird, the description of the birds reminded me of chocobos from Final Fantasy. But they 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 are riding these giant bird things, and they themselves are almost like giant bird creatures. And yeah. to 
to basically, you know, the Gelfling, you can see in the picture just how small they are in comparison. I mean, it's like you've got the guards and they look like they're very important and um, everything, but they're dwarfed by the actual Skeksy itself. So it's got to be a very intimidating sight and, you know, to have heard stories about them and to actually see them in person, you know, Naya's got to be pretty worried herself. And I think later on, she even says, you know, she's worried when she, when they're waiting to see what the expression is after they eat the uh, food, you know, if they're even going to be impressed and if they're not impressed, what are they going to do? Cause more than likely these things could actually, if they got angry enough, could kill, easily kill a gelfling. She's impressed, I think, both by the fact they're so powerful and by the fact that they're so, um, they're both powerful and they're large and intimidating. Yes, that's the word I would use for it. And that's actually a big function of being a villain is that they're big, they're intimidating, and they're also capable of doing sneaky things. You know, they're not just giant bullies that blunder around. You can't really take those seriously. But if there's, you know, intelligence behind that physical power, then you've got a threat, uh, which, you know, is also another word. They're threatening. You know, you, you get that idea that you don't want to spill something on their lap during dinner. Mm-hmm. But, hey... Yeah, they're they're civilized though. I mean, they're not just you know bring me this or I'll burn your village down or you know why haven't you had this already? You know, they're just on this side of civil, and you get that very well put together by J.M. Lee in that first description of them. It's like here's mm-hmm. the big players. They're here now, and everybody better pay attention to what they're asking for. Mm-hmm. The royalty, yeah. They're not like um, scenery-eating villains, you know, but they're, it's one of those things where it's like, we need to impress them because we need to seem important in their eyes. Otherwise, if we're not important, who knows what they're going to do? Because there is that whole feeling of um, when they say something, you better be paying attention and you better go and do it because they're practically, you know, bossing the old Maldra around. Like, um, Oh, what did they call her? I'm trying to remember. Little Gelfling Mother or something like that. Where they basically were basically not paying attention to the fact that she's the leader of that particular group. They're just like, go get us more wine. (laughs) You know? They're very, um, there's not, they're not threatening anyone, but there's an unspoken threat is what I felt like. Right. Yeah, and I just like, yeah, you know, the, the past and the Skeksis, you know, the, the, the cherry squash and the food, and they're just, like, just anticipating just the re- the re- reaction of, you know, what what's going to happen. Um, yeah. you know, Is he going to like it? Like it, yeah. Was was he unhappy? What would he, <laughs> this failure entail? Um, atone for the displeasure of a Skeksy lord, and and then he, yeah, lets out a, a grahaha, a big um the terrible sound um that now now i realized that the ter- terrible sound was laughter so after that so everyone was very relieved and um 
and then so from there um the the feast had begun um, so here we yeah. so here we have basically like the Skeksis dinner scene plus the Podlane festival, I guess, <laughs> like all in yeah. one. Yes, yeah, yeah, both together, part of the feast, yeah. Mm. And I guess, yeah. go ahead. Sorry, I'm just going to say what a terrible thing for you know those in power to come into your village, and you fear their displeasure. I mean, they're supposed to be the guardians of the crystal. Uh, or, you know, the heart of Thra. I mean, it's not just this crystal. It's the heart of Thra. They're the guardians. They're closest to the heart of the world. And yet, they're the most unapproachable. You know, you don't dare go up to them and go, what What are your thoughts on this, you know, Master Skeksis? I mean, you don't see anybody lining up to ask them for wisdom. Well, and we have a moment like that later on that we'll get to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's not common. It's not, you know, everybody is right. signed to do it, and they'll spend hours answering questions. <laughs> no way. They they take a lot of time flattering them more than actually asking them anything substantial. <laughs> like, I am... Um, oh, I wish I had marked the uh, page, but when she's talking about the squash and do they, you know, cook things that they're offering them it's like the sweetness of our great vil our great leaders for showing us mercy but the sourness for the strength at which they're you know protecting us and it's just like oh <laughs> are they, how, how are they buying it let's see if they're yeah. buying it you know <laughs> I've, I've got the i've got the quote it's a specialty of the spriton tribe sweet and thanks for the kindness the lords have shown us and sour for the sharp strength of our loyalty to the castle ah there you go mm. <laughs> i wonder good. what the skeksis think of the podlings at this point in the storyline because it seems to me like they wouldn't start having actual podling slaves until after the Gelfling found out and went away from the castle or were killed off and then they didn't have Gelfling working in the castle anymore, so they had to substitute by making pod slaves. Because if they had pod slaves now, everyone would be like, what are you doing to these podlings? You know? <laughs> so well, I wonder what they think of them now. Like, Do they think, oh, nothing about them? Like, it's almost like they don't even acknowledge them. Right. Sort of like they're not taking a census of, you know, Naya's tribe. They're not even acknowledging that the podlings are there. They don't really make any reference to them. So it makes me think that they don't even, you know, at this point, they're like a sub race in, in uh, comparison to the Gelflings, at least in the Skeksis' eyes. You know? It's almost like the Skeksis don't look beyond the tip of their nose. Like, because mm-hmm. it seems like. Naya, this drenching Gelfling that just happens to be there, and she's not hiding. I mean, she's off in the back to the distance, but she's not really hiding, you know? So it's like they don't even notice her being there. Yeah, I honestly thought that was kind of odd because it's like, I guess they would know that she's not part of that particular tribe of Gelfling, but they don't even acknowledge her at all. And it, it does make you think maybe the Skeksis just really aren't interested much in the drenching clan. It's odd though, that her brother ended up being a guard for them when they're not 
interested at whatsoever. But then again, that could have been, well, I'm not going to give anything away about the end, but it's just one of those things that's like, it's just strange that they didn't even acknowledge she was there. It begs the question if Skeksis have trouble telling the Gelfling apart. Mm-hmm. That could or be. Or if they even care to at this point. Well, Because yeah. at this point, there's no prophecy. So they're not even, they don't even fear the Gelfling themselves. Mm-hmm. And even when, when Kylan is telling his story, it's like, um, they have to ask each other, did we count this one? Because he actually became interesting to them at that point, but they, they probably don't really tell much difference between the Gelfling unless one in particular stands out. And then they kind of want to make sure that they've counted that one or, you know, make sure that they kind of file that away in their memories. So even though she's a different color and looks different to them, you know, they might not be even at this point taking this job super seriously. They just want to make sure that um, everything's in order pretty much is what I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm just trying to think um, with uh, the chapter. So, um, so yeah, they, they do have the feasts and, and um and child tells her that yeah of course you know she can sleep for the night um and then yeah then we do find out that um the boy who um was from chapter seven who directed uh uh yeah directed naya to the Almodra, or not to the Almodra, to Mordra mera yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I wanted to say I, that like you keep saying Almodra, but the Almodra is uh yeah is the main the one yeah, yeah 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 sorry about that yeah I know, it's just, yeah. Um, well, it's this whole new world that we're, I mean, we've yeah. never had Gelfling. Uh, we, we, don't, we don't know anything about the Gelflings from the movie. I mean, Jen and Kira don't even know anything about their own culture. So JM's basically developing the culture of Gelflings. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I mean. There was a guide on uh, the Dark Crystal official site as to the different clans and some, of course, information from previous publications. But, you know, the daily life and the number of Gelflings, how many settlements there were, uh, level of culture was intentionally, I think, left very vague. So Yeah, that was one of the things about the uh, contest was you got a certain feel for... Um, what the the cultures were sort of like, but there was a lot left up to the imagination, and that was kind of the point. And um, which is all in Gelfling Gathering. If any mm-hmm. listeners want to pick up that PDF, the yes. darkcrystal.com. <laughs> <laughs> what I did like about it is that um, the interactions between the clans were also left vague, so you don't know how mm-hmm. often. Each of the clan members, you know, mingled with other clans, the distance kept, you know, the political tensions even, uh, which, again, gives you a heck of a lot of room to play with. And JM does that in this book and more to come, Mm -hmm. of course. Well, and that's another thing like this. This Sammy Thicket, the Gelfling village, is this the only Spriton village? And, or, or does that just happen to be the main Spriton village that has the Madra actually there? 
That is a good question because I was also wondering that because I thought the Madra was typically kind of the head of that particular clan. So it seems like this should be the only one. But at the same time, the way that she talks about it, it's like a stop on the way to um, where she's going. So I don't know. Well, if you look at the map at the beginning of the book, I mean, we've got all of the different clan areas represented. So you could make the case either way. You know, there could be a Madra clan, uh, Mother Madra, um, within traveling distance of one another in every spot on this map for the different clans. Um, Or this could just be a corner of, you know, a larger continent that we don't see. is it true? Well, we have story? we have the Sprite and Plains, and then we have Sammy Thicket. But it just seems like, well, is that just the hub, or are there other little villages spread out? And I wonder it, in the other villages if there's actually a Madra or not. Right. Um, like, does she just happen to, by chance, run upon the one that has the Madra staying, or is she there because the Skeksis are coming? Because it does have that, she said he's, yeah, they describe it as a smaller village with just the square, like the main square. She does say, though, that she can stay in her room. That's true. And I, I got the feeling it was a little more lavish than the other places within there. But I mean, it's hard to say if that's the actual. Well, it says you've got the Sprite and Plains, and then you've got Sami Thicket. I get the feeling that might actually be kind of their little capital place there in the Sammy Thicket. I could be wrong, but since there's nothing else said about the Sprite and Plains, I would imagine that there would be other Sprite and settlements there. But this particular place, while it's significant to the character, seems significant on the map to me. Yeah, that's essential. Yeah, like like you mentioned, sort of the capital city equivalent of... Um... Of the Spartan Plains. Um, Yes, yeah. Um, And it might not be mentioned much in this, but they're also, it looks like they're close to the river. And a lot of times capital cities are established near a river uh, for reasons of trade and things like that. They don't mention that sort of thing, but it makes me think that might be kind of their capital right there. And it just happened you know, to be on her way to Stone in the Wood and to uh, Harar. And all of that follows the river. And we get the feel that Stone in the Wood is a significant place that's a um, larger settlement as well. So it makes me think Sami Thicket is the actual uh, settlement for the Spritons, that the Madra would be there. Right, like maybe that's where the Madra lives and like... It's kind of like the city, but then throughout the plains, you have all these little neighborhoods, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yes, smaller villages and things like that. Um, and yeah, like I, I like sort of um, that we sort of get introduced to um, to Kyland, um as we we found out much earlier that um he was the boy that sort of directed um um Naya to Mordramera <laughs> um so and um yeah he sort of established I wonder what the yeah go ahead I wonder what that if there was a significance to the, him having that seed like 
just that she thought it was odd that he had it or I don't well, know. A foreshadowing of um, him being able to give her direction when she needed it. Yeah, for the journey. Oh, yeah, right, right. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, yeah. That'd be the mm-hmm. case. Um, I'm just, I just now, I'm, yeah. look, I'm just now looking at the line. It, it's only worth counting what's valuable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on yeah. that little line there. <laughs> yeah. You all are not valuable at all. <laughs> Naya swallowed the jumble of words jerk. that rose in her throat. I love that line. Naya swallowed the jumble of words that rose in her throat. Mm. Oh, she basically and bit her tongue. Like, it's it's very hard, I think. I get the impression for the people of Sog to do that too. <laughs> because they are very direct. And throughout the book, she is extremely direct in how she says things. And the fact she has to sit here and she just she has these words almost behind her teeth and she has to swallow them back down because got to make a good impression because she's right. the Madra, but it's just well, she's even, she's even yeah. She's like even snippy about the eel. She's like that eel and then she like sighed but shrugged. Yes, yes, of course. <laughs> you want to bring that thing into my quarters? <laughs> She keeps calling her my soggy deer. <laughs> That's what it is. That's what throws me over the edge. You, my soggy deer. Yes. Ugh. And uh, later, yeah, she says, uh, you know, Madra, Mira had a little time for Naya, and that was fine enough. She would accept the hospitality for what it was mm-hmm. and say her polite goodbyes on the morrow. So she's, you know, playing the good uh, chieftainess's chieftain's son. Uh, and daughter would do the same thing. So yeah. she's playing her role and doing what uh, she, I imagine, expects uh, she and her brother would uh, do in her place you know, as the representatives of her clan. I don't knows- remember... Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I don't remember what chapter it's in. It might be a little ahead of ourselves, but when she even gives her the bag of... Um, supplies and the new sandals and things like that it's like for a second there you know she thinks maybe she's doing it for some secret affection for her you know some secret maybe she actually did like Naya and she's doing all this to be nice and it turns out she's just basically doing it so that she can say okay now be sure to tell your mother the Madra that uh, we showed hospitality to you when you stopped by <laughs> it's like she um Thanks a lot, Madrame. <laughs> <laughs> I kept up with the formality. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Done my part. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. Like I sort of liked, yeah, Kylan. Um, you know, um, singing this. Well, he's song. a song teller. Yeah, he's a song teller. Yeah. So you know, this... and she's drenching. They don't have song tellers. They think it's no. a waste of time. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah, so this is really probably her first, you know, really exposure to song telling, essentially. Um, so yeah, it was kind of cool to see, uh, yeah, him singing the song of um, of Jaro Jen, um, who was yeah introduced in a short story from Creation Myths Volume One. Um, yeah, and again, this is just one of those moments where I, I just wish there was an audio book. Um, <laughs> 
just to listen to these like you know oh, yeah. these passages mm. yeah yeah um i doubt it will ever happen but yeah it's, yeah for me that was like one of those moments where it's like ah yeah <laughs> um and so um and so i guess you know and he doesn't uh, yeah. he's i like how he's not he doesn't play the furka he plays um what is it a lute yeah the stringed instrument mm-hmm. um yeah a lute yeah yeah yeah. He held a lute in one hand and took a seat on the bench facing the audience. Yeah. So he doesn't play the Furka. There are Furka players that are there earlier um, for the festival with the Skeksis, but he doesn't play the Furka, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's also like... Song, I feel like you could, you could spend a long time talking about this particular song. I thought it was very interesting that he painted Jara Jin as basically being so amazing that the Skeksis are giving him gifts. And it makes you wonder what the Skeksis at this point when they're hearing this song are actually thinking. Because that seems almost Well, do they know who unheard the of? That that's another good question. Cause we know from reading our uh, literature that the hunter is one of them. Right. I get the feeling they don't know particularly which one, but they probably can suspect. But it's one of these things that um, just the fact that this, the Skeksis were so grateful to hear all of his stories and stuff that they gave him gifts when everybody is bending over backwards to give the Skeksis gifts in the scene is kind of ironic. And the Skeksis are very much listening to this song and become very interested in Kylan after he's done and it makes you wonder if they actually possibly could have been a little bit offended by that concept or you know maybe they feel he knows a little tiny bit too much because at the end they're very careful to say have we counted this one (laughs) who who is he (laughs) you know well, I this is this story is also very personal to him, because mm-hmm. this is, it. I mean, it's his parents were killed by or taken by the hunter. Um. So it's it's kind of you know, he wants to spread the word about the hunter, and I'm almost wondering if maybe he might be onto the Skeksis, might think that. Well, no, because. Later on, he thinks something else is the hunter. So, no, yeah. he's not suspicious of the Skeksis yet. Yeah, I love, like, the scroll keepers. is like, you know, this hunter from Song, a myth, some story made by Gelfling. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's not a myth, it's not a myth. Um, yeah, and then Mojo is like, ah, a story, yes, 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 to teach your children not to leave their homes after the three brothers have gone to bed. <laughs> it's a bo- it's yeah. just a boogeyman, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, songs of brave heroes, 14 villains. Yeah. <laughs> Gives a Gelfling hope, oh, eh? Yeah. <laughs> Gets a Gelfling through the night. Very uh, well, very well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I almost he would deepen his voice for that. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Like, he calls it. Here's, here's what you were talking about before lodging little Gelfling mother and yep. more wine. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> 
just totally not acting like she has any authority at all. I mean, even little Gelfling mother sounded condescending. So eh, I guess you kind of reap what you sow, but at the same time, it's, you know, it, it kind of shows that they don't exactly have a high opinion of her, but she's supposed to be serving them and they pretty much take that moment to say, Hey, go get us more wine, bring us lodging. And, um, treat us as we deserve to be treated is the way I got I like I like this too because it's almost like that this it kind of points out that the Skeksis do know that the hunter that the hunter that he's talking about is a Skeksi because it says rising with the census taker Lord Skekok gazed at the song teller standing uncomfortably before him clacking his beak and sucking his teeth Mm. yep and at the beginning of the song, too, actually, the words themselves give it away. So, um, metaphor-armed monster with half a heart. I mean, that... Right, and at this point, like, do 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 they consider the Skeksis to have four arms? Or yeah. are they thinking of... Because I, I know they have the to... two smaller ones. Yeah. I wanted to interject something about that. Do you think maybe that the Skeksis at this time, in the movie, their arms are so shriveled and small you can barely see them? But it makes me wonder if at some point there are the the top arms of the Skeksis might have been more pre- pronounced and stronger. I think so. Maybe at one point they were longer and more gangly. So it makes me. Or maybe think... maybe the Skeksis have twisted the story from generation to generation to make them think that it was a mystic that's the hunter and not a Skeksy. Possibly. That that could be, but it always seemed to me, even though the myst you know, the mystics clearly had use of all four of their arms, that it seems to me that they all should have four functioning arms. They don't talk about it much in the description of the um, Skeksis themselves when they're riding in, but they talk about it with the hunter, these four arms. If it had just these two little itty-bitty arms, it just seems like it would not have this big sinister shadow of having the four. But Skeksis seem to me as the type to kind of do as little... They're very decadent, and it seems like they would do as little as possible. It's almost like to me that I've always thought their arms maybe after a certain point just became more useless it's almost like, like atrophy mm-hmm. yeah they atrophied because they just didn't use them much but the hunter being so savage and you know oh yeah might actually have stronger arms than they do because he's still using them to capture his prey and things like that they don't really need to do that sort of thing but that that's the impression i got at least mm-hmm one thing as well to remember about Thra is that um, there's a symmetry of three in most of the creatures in, you know, form or shape, arms, legs, etc. Um, Skeksis have four. And, you know, the podlings and the gelfling have only got two arms, two legs. So they're three real, fingers. <laughs> yeah, they're the odd people out. Um, what I found interesting about that song beginning that way was that it's a forearm monster with half a heart. I mean, that kits right to the core of right. what a species is. It's, you it's know, something a, that's been split in two, mm-hmm. but has four yeah. arms. Yeah. yeah. Right there for us to see. We know mm-hmm. that. Of course, the Gelflings don't. 
and you know the Skeksis do. So that glance that they shared is full of meaning. Well, another yeah. thing to think about is that the Skeksis pretty much live well. As we see in the film, they live for over two thousand years. Is that right? Oh, well, was it a thousand, thousand years? years? Yeah, a thousand years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the Erskeks had already been around for a thousand years. So, mm-hmm. it's it's Gelflings have this shorter lifespan. So it's like the, according to these Gelflings, the Skeksis have just always been around. And they don't ever question, oh, I wonder when they're going to die or that, because by the time the next generation comes around, it's already forgotten that they've been around forever. <laughs> like, mm. I wonder I wonder if there's a point where it's like, well, these guys are really, 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 really old. Like, what's going on here? Or, or maybe that's a known thing. But it's like, I mean, I guess it's known that the Skeksis live forever and ever. It's like they're part oh. of their strength, I guess. Mm. If they th- and, if they think of them as being related to the gods, pretty much, then it might not be a stretch for them to think of them as being able to live pretty much forever. Right. Especially if the same... I don't know if they actually take note of the Skeksis' names or anything like that, but if the same ones keep coming and keep coming, there might even be legends written about them. And they're still living, so it would it would almost make them seem immortal to the Gelflings. Who well, might with, been, yeah, but with, with that, they can shape how the Gelflings view them because things get lost throughout the generations because of their shorter lifespan that the Gelfling have. Mm-hmm. And I guess, I don't know, maybe there wasn't a lot of, you know, song tellers or, you know people writing stories to, you know, to pass on, you know, to future generations or, yeah. 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 And certain, certain clown, clans don't even have sound tellers like the Drenchen don't. So that sort of history might get a little bit warped if you don't have um, every clan recording it and being, and it seems almost like the clans are very separate from one another. So they can't really you know, compare all of their stories unless somebody like Kylan goes out and starts collecting other stories to tell. I mean, he does know a certain story about the background of the Drenchian people, but that that comes a lot later, but he's talking about the background and them being like um, from the sea and being blue and stuff like that, and how long ago was that? Because now they're green and they live in the swamp instead of the sea. You know, it's like there are only certain stories that are recorded and they probably change throughout history. But if no one's there to record them, then they've only got a little bit of the information. And I think the Skeksis take advantage of that. Yeah. Um, and I'm just trying to think. Um, so, yeah, so sort of after the, the song, um, you know, the sort of the party sort of ends. Um and yeah, like, yeah, at the end, sort of, Naya is sort of, you know, very curious about the, the counting book. Um, and, you know... Well, she had never yeah. seen a book before. No. <laughs> yeah, she told herself the names of the Drenchen would be marked in the thick pages of of Lord Skeklak's tome, and their number would be recorded in history, so um, held in her mind. Um, 
Right. She wants yeah. to. Yeah. Lit, I mean, naive as naive as the Gelflings are about the Skeksis, she wants to do something great so that the Skeksis will recognize them as important Gelflings of value. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and take census, and it's like, no, you don't want them to take census. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then it goes into like, she also, she also thinks that these veins of crystal that are running that have darkened that are running through the ground that are causing all these darkened creatures. Like she thinks that it's going towards the crystal when actually it's radiating out. Well, I like how she reflects. She, uh, she kind of reflects on what's going on at home. Here it is. She's, she's her first night in another village. She's uncomfortable. She wants to be in her hammock. Let's see here. She even, um, I'm sorry, I, I flipped my page here. So oh, she reflects on the Jar Jen story. And she she wondered, she kind of compares herself to Jar Jen. Like, I wonder if he ever missed home and, on you know, while he was out on his long journeys. and Yeah, but it's like, you know, it didn't matter. Jar, Jar Jen was a folk hero, likely not even real. <laughs> and even if he had been real, <laughs> so what? Um, yeah. <laughs> I kind of like these moments. It's like it's yeah. like that chapter where she's um, where she's first going out on the journey her on her own. The chapter six. It's like this is her little reflection on what's happened and and what it kind of means to her and her life and her journey. Mm-hmm. Um, it, in the movie, Jen has a lot of those. Mm-hmm. Where do you see? Here's his inward thoughts. This place is weird, and you know, and she he starts thinking about Aldra. Yeah, what if, what is this Agra? What if she eats skillfully? You know. <laughs> so the, it's kind of cool. There are lots of inward moments with um with Naya, Naya, and basically that she's, you know, thinking from her perspective about things like this, and you kind of get a better feel for how different it is from where she came from. And um, her inward little thoughts about things that um, sometimes are just kind of make you chuckle, you know? Um, yeah, so, yeah, and so in Chapter 10, you know, Naya's sort of, you know, very eager to leave. Um, but she does actually get um, get some, uh, receive some gifts from Mordra Mera. Um, well, she almost, yeah. she kind of wants to get out of there before even seeing the Madra, but she kind of runs it. She's kind of still in the room. And we, we find that she has this uh, special Vilyaya power where she can cause the bindings of her sewing to tighten. And it's, I guess, kind of like dream sewing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, she received a gift of, um, was it packed food and a skin of water um, and uh, and a pair of Nebri skin shoes. Um <laughs> So, uh, so now she's got shoes, um, <laughs> to go through, you know, through her journey, um, to hurrah. Um, and then she, um, uh, tell yeah. your mother, I took yeah. you in, won't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> took, what good care we, we took yeah. of you. <laughs> Thank you. I will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, it's just like, yeah, just wants to get out of there. ASAP. Um, 
And then, yeah, she encounters um, uh, Kylan um, because um, I think Kylan was having trouble with... um, I guess he doesn't have the the qualities of being sort of the the Spriton soldier, um, you know, being able to um, Mm -hmm. throw the... um, um, bowler the bowler whip. yes yeah um yeah. yeah and you sort of yeah and he's being teased he's being teased by the other gelfling because mm-hmm. he's not sport sporty or sprightly or whatever you want to call it yeah because yep. yeah even when she meets him his she she thinks about his hands as being not calloused or you know rough looking he's mm-hmm. basically an artisan and i get the feeling that Part of that, them bullying him about it was because of the fact that they might have even been jealous. He mentions in a later chapter how he was taught by the uh, Madra of his clan to dream edge. And it's something that most Gelfling would not be able to do. But they're poking fun at, at him because everybody should be able to throw a bola and he can't. It was something he was just never taught. It's probably something he feels bad about, too, because it's probably something that his parents would have even taught him. But he doesn't have any parents since his parents were kidnapped by the hunter. So it's kind of even worse that they're poking fun at him that way, because it just points out the fact that something that all Spriton should be able to do, he can't do at all. And he can do something that most of them can't, but at the same time, you know... There, I think it's like a jealousy sort of thing is the feeling I got when I read a little later in the chapters. Well, it's also good to be unique. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I like how she's. Yeah, I like how she's like, okay, um, I'm just gonna leave him alone because I don't have time to teach him the bola. <laughs> He's got his own people, and then she realizes, oh, well, they're teasing him now. They're yeah, I'm not gonna let this happen. Yeah. yeah, don't you think he's had enough? And it's like, and the boy's like, mind your own business, drenching. Um, and uh, and she throws a bola. Yeah, she does. Yeah, yeah. And, and mm-hmm. she does it better than any of them did. <laughs> yeah, and astoundingly so. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they teach us in the bog. Um, <laughs> so, so almost like a dropping the mic moment. <laughs> I like yeah. how she kind of gives them a rude gesture too. You know, she pulls her ears down and sticks her tongue out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So um, I'm just trying to think. Um, and I and I like the chatter between yeah, Kylan and Naya. You know, afterwards, and um, I like to like this little passage. You know, Good luck to you, song teller. Um, don't let don't let others pick on you like that anymore. You know. A rock's good for one or two things, throwing or hiding under. <laughs> Pick whichever you want. <laughs> the more quickly you decide, the better. Um, yeah, I like yeah. that quote. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um... Well, here we find out that Kylan is also going on a journey. Yes, yes. Um, and, um... I'm just trying to and she's just and Naya's just like okay well bye I'm going on mine see ya <laughs> yeah 
I think he had been thinking of doing that for a while, but when he met her and he realized she would be leaving, it seemed like a good opportunity for him to go. You know, kind of gave him a nudge out the door. And I think he was hoping that he could travel travel with someone because he couldn't do things like throw a bola. And, you know, it would be safer for him and probably a more company for somebody who's a song teller to at least have someone to go with. Do you think that he was learning the bola at the time and the other kid, the other Gelfling were just kind of instead of not really teaching him, they were more teasing him, but he was specifically wanting to learn the bola because he was about to go on his journey. (laughs) Probably. I'd imagine it'd be something he would do on his own most of the time just to practice and had probably just not become good at it enough yet. And since he was about to leave, and he might have been trying to practice again. And all these people were there. And unfortunately, my guess is they probably just saw him doing it. And then, they were, you know, trying to be in, not really trying to be encouraging. They wanted to see him try and fail, basically. <laughs> That's the impression I got, at least. Yeah, so, yeah, Kyla wants to, you know, join with Naya, and Naya's sort of a bit hesitant, and, um, um, you know, sort of like, you know, you won't have to take care of me, I promise, and he's like, you can't even throw a bowler, um, he's, and he's like, going to stone in the, stone in the wood. Yeah, 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 you, I can be useful mm-hmm. in, in other ways, um, and then he sings, uh, starts sort of starts singing. I guess the um, whether it's the rest of the um, or another, just probably another um, story of um of Jarajen. So um, uh, which yeah, there was a bit of a passage. It was you know um, that Naya bursts into laughter, laughter, unable to contain it. Um, so um. Yeah, I'm just. I like how he's he's a he's afraid of fizz gigs. Yes, I found that great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jara Jin, yeah, Jara Jin and the Maw of the King. The fizz gig, <laughs> fizz gig king eats Jara Jin whole. Yeah, I can just to imagine escape like, the huge maw. Yeah, uh, just it's, he tickled it's so... the king's throat with a leaf. <laughs> Yeah, I could just imagine like how big physics could actually get, you know. <laughs> well, and Naya yeah. knows that they can't. She's just thinking, yeah. Yeah. and that's why she's laughing. She's yeah. like, "This yeah. is the so craziest silly. thing I've ever yeah. heard." Like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I think he he is trying to endear himself to her and is trying to make her laugh at that point. <laughs> yeah, right. Because well, the last line is, "And when the king wouldn't burp for his part, Jara yeah. Jin tickled backward, and the king let out a big." And then she started laughing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I guess, you know, from there off, you know, they join together. So and, now we know that yeah. Gelfling pass gas. <laughs> or or yeah. fizz gigs do. Yeah. Fizz we gigs, know that yeah. Fizz gigs yeah. Do. That's canon. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is a Jim Henson thing. <laughs> You've got to remember that scene in Labyrinth with the bog of eternal stench. <laughs> oh, yeah, so, yeah. How can we forget? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's burned into my retinas now. 
uh, and and so yeah, they, they quiver. They quiver. Why do they quiver? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. so yeah, and they head off together um, into the rolling golden hills. Um, yeah, which I guess that takes us to chapter eleven. Um, and I think it's you know this is more just sort of discussing sort of. Um, Colin wanted to know more about the drenching, um, like how did the drenching fly and, um, uh, and also, I guess, well, um, he doesn't, yeah. he doesn't know that she doesn't have her wings yet. He thinks that they're just covered up. Yeah. 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 Yes. Cause at, I, at this point she doesn't. Yeah. Um, I think this is a great chapter. It really gets yeah. us into what a Gelfling's all about. And we get a lot of good insight here that we haven't in previous chapters that we have to infer. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a moment beforehand where she's she's going to sleep in the Madra's room. And she talks about how there's a sore spot in the middle of her shoulder blades in between her yeah. shoulders. And that made me think that, well, maybe that's because her wings are starting to develop. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why her her back is sore. I definitely got that feeling from that uh, from that particular sentence. I was like, "Oh, okay, so her wings are developing. They just haven't sprouted out yet. She's, right. you know, feeling these pains and things, and doesn't at the time she's not really thinking about that because it's like through the first chapter she's thinking a lot about." her wings and how she wants them and how they haven't grown yet. But then later it seems like they might actually be starting to develop and the thought doesn't even occur to her because so much has gone on. That's what I got from that sentence at least. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, um, I'm just, um, yeah, so, and then I talk about, you know, Kylan's past a bit, you know, um, his past, you know, about his, about his parents. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just a very dialogue-driven um, chapter, um, which I guess, you know, with them to just, you know, sort of alone and just sort of talking. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, but yeah, I think that's sort of, you know, get a bit of an insight Um uh, between the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the... Yeah. I thought it was really interesting The um, when he's talking about dream fasting with uh, Madramera and how she didn't see the hunter in his dreams but only darkness. But it it's one of those things that's like later when he dream fasts with Nea she does see the hunter. It makes me wonder if Madramera actually did see what he was seeing, but maybe she even suspects it could be a Skeksis and wants him to not reflect on it. I might be reading a little too much into that, but it just made me think, I was like, it's so clear to Nea. It makes me wonder if the Madramera actually did see what he saw and just had a reason for not wanting him to uh, continue to, because she's very careful 
to um, guide him away from that subject when he's talking about it in front of the Skeksis. So it makes me think she actually might know or suspect it's a Skeksis. And he, maybe that's she why she fears him. them. Yeah, exactly. To talk maybe about so that's it. why. Yeah, maybe that's why she's like so nervous about making sure everything's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but then I would have thought whether um, whether uh, Marge Romero would would rather have um, Kyle and sing a different song and not the song of um, of um, about the hunter. <laughs> oh, yeah. here's our yeah. here's our answer to the Sprite and Villages. He says. Um, Madra Mera often laments the matriarch's burden. She struggles to maintain order in Sammy Thicket and the other nearby Sprite and villages. Ah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha, yeah. Well, um, she might have not known which song he was going to sing. Yeah. And it might have, if he started singing that one, it might have seemed kind of suspicious or irritated the Skeksis if she had stopped him in mid verse and said, um, let's sing something else. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, just a little thought. I'm yeah. not sure, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and um, I guess um, I was uh, trying to think. So, this well, is. We're coming up upon the dark wood. Yes, yes. Like they can see it in the distance, and and she remembers that Tavra is wanting her to avoid the dark wood. Yeah, don't don't go there. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, so they have to go through the highlands to reach the Black River. Yes, yeah. Um, and um, and then then they decide to sort of eat. Um, uh, to camp out, um, instead of, you know, trying to work out, you know, how do you, how do we know if we can eat this? If it's, you know, what if it's poisonous and, um, yeah, mm-hmm. I love the drenching motto, trust your gut. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like how he transcribed it into the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Trust uh, the drenching's gut. <laughs> yeah. Um, So we also find out the purpose of his journey is that he's going to the stone in the wood to prove that the hunter exists. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. And she's questioning him like, are you going to avenge your parents? And he doesn't believe in vengeance. No, he doesn't. He, no, no. You get the feeling says, though he does want to stop him. Because he says he doesn't want it to happen to anyone else's, uh, anyone else's parents. Right. Or he says, I, "I don't know what I'll do when I reach Stone in the Wood, but someday I'll li- I'd like to find the hunter and stop him." Mm-hmm. You'll have to learn to yeah. throw a bullet if you ever want to do that, <laughs> 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 or find one big enough to hide under. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good. Yeah. Um, like just, I said, yeah. she's. Throughout the book, she's very direct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and then she even thinks, well, if you don't find what you want in Stone in the Wood, you can just come back to the Sog with me. And it's like, what? <laughs> mm. <laughs> she could teach him to throw the bola. Yeah. Mm. Tell songs at the drum feasts. Yeah. 
yeah. exchange, yeah. Yeah. Um and uh um, well and then we find out that the the, the her clan, the Drenchen, they they don't really have songs but or song tellers, but they keep historical songs that are important. Yeah, and like yeah, even you know he's trying to think. Um, yeah, no, it's like you know you can still go back. You know, no one will even notice if you left, if you turn back now. Um, and uh, yeah, and then that's the part where they you know finding food and whatnot. And um, I'm just. And that, yeah, now finds out that, um, you know, that, that Kylan has, you know, a book, uh, with the writing and it's like, you know, how do you learn to read? And, um, and then we get that little, little reference down the track where it's like, um, um, uh, when I think he says, yeah, words that stay, <laughs> um, so nice little nod, nod to the, to the film, of course. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, well, they've caught a beetle. They caught a beetle. Yeah. And he's like, how do you... She's like, I got dinner. And he's like, how do you know if that's poisonous or not? And he's like... <laughs> she's like, well... She smells it and she says, eh, always... always tr- tr- uh, what is it? Always trust a drenching's nose or... Gut. <laughs> yeah, trust the gut. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The drenching yeah. motto. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's like, well, I'm going to look in this book and make sure. And he says, finds out, well, you have to pull the shell off of it or else you're going to be sick for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they roast it. And... Yeah. So yeah, he, he's cooking mm-hmm. impresses Naya. Um, and, um, so burrowing, nod, noggy, burrowing, noggy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, noggy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, and then, um, uh, Kylan asks about, you know, wanted to know about what, what she's going to do in hurrah and should have explains to him that, you know, that she's looking for, you know, for his brother, uh, Gurjin, the guard at the castle, the crystal, and he's gone missing, um, and all that. And, um, I guess. Now you know, did he learn, did he learn to read, read from Madramera so that he could, so that he could read the tales of Jara Jin, or did she teach him because she wanted him to learn the tales of Jara Jin? Well, he says it so he can learn the tales of Jara Jin, but it does beg the question why she did it. I get the feel that despite the fact that she seems like a very uncaring person, maybe it's partly because now he doesn't have any parents and he doesn't really have a place within the clan or anyone to guide him. So he would seem to be the ideal person for her to teach. Right. It gives him a purpose and it gives him um, something he can learn. And I get the feeling that oral history might be kind of important to the Gelflings, even though the Drenching clan doesn't do it. You know, at least to certain clans of the Gelflings, it's important. So she's taught him basically how to read and how to dream it so that he can write. And, um, and Naya gasps, gasps at it, yeah. And the she, only she one... She gasps. 
yeah, the only one that um, he says that he's made up is the story that he uh, told of Jar Jin with the hunter. So some of these might have been the tales about other tales about Jar Jin might have actually been the ones that she taught in, but this one, that one was the one he made up. Because it reflected on what happened to his parents. Yeah. Yeah. And I like how she's like, they, she calls it writing Vilyaya. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she gasped. She's like, reading was one thing, but dream etching? Words that stay? What? <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and then he dream etches in front of her. I like how it's like the swirling, intricate markings, rows and lines of swirling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, now, dream etching isn't just writing. Well, I don't know how JM's going to do it, but... From World of the Dark Crystal, dream etching is not just writing, but it's also, you can also do, um, like, stone inlays and pictures and things like that. Uh, mm. the, the Wall of Destiny is dream etched. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, like, yeah, they slept in overnight in the forest and... Um, and then when they get up and then, um, I think, yeah, Kylan just sort of, yeah, disappears. Um, I think it was like in the, yeah, in the middle while, um, Naya was trying to explain, you know, what, you know, what her business was in, um, in Hurrah. Um, yeah, when her companions didn't answer, she looked around to see what he was thinking and halted with a lurching feeling. Kylon was gone. Um... Yeah, which I guess then then leads us to um to chapter twelve. Um Yeah, just try and find um Kylan. Um I'm just trying to think. Yeah. And then she ends up falling uh falls down into a hole into um someone's place. Um trying to think. Well, Naya hasn't been completely honest about why she's going yeah. right. mm-hmm. to Har- Harar. Yeah. yeah. She's kept him in the dark about two things, really. And it's um about her brother and the fact he was accused of treason. But also, she never told him about specifically what happened to her with the Nebri and about finding those veins of crystal. This kind of forces that into the light <laughs> because now why I have to wonder about this uh, place that they fall into it's like a podling um, it's like a little podling house or something like that but it's been corrupted by those dark crystal veins but the podlings are gone it makes you wonder if maybe these podlings were being um, affected it, it, by the vein. Yeah, affected also, by the, the vein and either leaving or maybe they were actually captured by the Skeksis. There's nothing in the writing to indicate that, but the fact that they're just gone. I mean, they could have been eaten by the creature in there, but I just get the feeling... The but the creature say, hadn't broken through the wall yet. Yeah, exactly. So it makes me think that they might... 
the fact that they're just specifically gone makes me wonder if they were possibly even taken by the Skeksis. But there, like I said, there's nothing in the writing to necessarily indicate that. But the fact that they're gone and she keeps saying how, like, yeah, that all of their stuff is still here. Yeah, because I know, like in um, Creation Myths Volume Three, um, we had the um, the minor creatures. I think the Macrax. I think they're they're called um, mm-hmm. that. You know that that attacked the um, Podling villages. Um, right. So whether that mm-hmm. could be, I thought of yeah, that, and when yeah. it busted through the wall, I'm like, is it a Macrax? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, they describe the creatures affected um, by the crystal in very similar ways, that they're confused and they're hurting and they're frightened. And, you know, I don't think that's necessarily a coincidence. It could have even in that story been foreshadowing of things to come. Yeah, it's kind of weird that they stumbled upon this little hole, podling hole or... uh... Gardening scoop. That's what uh, they call it at the beginning. Yeah. Um, and so well, don't they say they yeah. they found they know it's podling it's a podling dwelling because of the scoops they found one of the gardening scoops. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so she goes yeah through through the tunnel um, and um, yeah and notices these. Um, the crystal veins. Um, and, um, and I think yeah, they, beneath the, yeah. beneath the overgrowth was a faint light and she parted the tangles of the plants to look closer. It was dirt and rock beneath the lacy roots, but there was certainly something. Then she dug with her fingers, pulling at the soil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dark violet. Yes. Yeah. The crystal crackling and glimmer. Yeah. Yeah. They're spreading. Um, and, um, I'm just trying to think, um, then something was making its way through the earth and it was big. Um, and Kylan's just yeah. standing there, kind of so, freaking out. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> he thinks it's, it's the, hunter. the hunter. He's like the hunter. He's here. He took the podlings. Now he's come to take us. Um, mm-hmm. And he's like, "Fly us out of here! Come yeah. on, <laughs> Quick, quickly! <laughs> Let me just can't fly, yeah. rub some salt into that wound here." She, yeah. The thing is, yeah, she. It's so embarrassing to her. She just hasn't told him up till this point, so it's. It's just one of those things. She just kind of assumes, yeah, you have wings. Fly us out of here. And... Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I don't. Mm, so Sorry. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we so we find out it's a rough gnaw. Yes, a rough gnaw. Yes. Which to me, the description just seemed like an oily, hairy, like m- one of those moles with the star nose. Yeah. The mm-hmm. and the fact it had the long um, tail reminded me of a rat. So it's almost like a mm-hmm. rat mole or something. And honestly. I've always thought that weird nose was really creepy. So this this seemed like a very creepy creature to me, especially when it talks about it, um, its nose basically um, flaring and um, crimson, you know, flaring red as a warning sign. Pointed nose was a red 
flanged cluster of nostrils that flared when it took in the open yeah. air. Yeah. Flashing <laughs> a warning crimson. Yeah. Color was the sign of danger. Mm-hmm. It's just... I, I, I like the description, but it's just a disgusting image, you know? <laughs> it's a very creepy-looking creature. Well, and she knows that it's blind also. So mm-hmm. she dream fasts with Kylan in order to be like, okay, so it's darkened, and maybe if we stay still, it won't notice that we're here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like a form of stealth in a way. Um, yeah. I was just saying, where were the Zets and the Spartan, you know, soldiers might, you know, use that as a technique. Um, just a random thought. <laughs> um, yeah. And um, I'm just trying to think. And then the creature um, escapes um, with a, uh, I think it was like a whole up, uh, there was a Scrano with like a, um, some coal from Kylan with it's like a hollow bat coal. Um, oh, oh what, yeah. what, what it's the, afraid of and it runs away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That was, that was pretty interesting. Yeah. I thought it was kind of nice. He got a chance to kind of shine and, you know, mm-hmm. do something useful when, when, she first met him she was sitting here thinking he was going to slow her down and in that particular instance he managed to save her life by doing something that wasn't necessarily physical or throwing a bowler or anything he just uh knew what this thing was afraid of and uh mimicked the call and it you know stayed back yes right and and, well she she dream fests with the rough gnaw Mm-hmm. Like she does the Nebri. Yeah. She's like, you know, there's there's nothing I can do here. Mm-hmm. I, I just need to dream fast with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, yeah, Kylan doesn't. Yeah. I, well, yeah, she, he doesn't um, um, realize that whether it's possible to, you know, dream fast, you know, with anything besides, yeah. I guess, other gelflings. Um, so, well, yeah. and, and she points out that this time. The rough knot didn't die like the Nebri did. Yeah. Yeah. Which she seems to feel, um, to kind of feel good about. Because in, in these instances, she never really wants it to end badly like that. But, you know, with the Nebri, there just wasn't anything else that could happen. But with this one, at least they didn't have to, you know, it didn't have to die. At the same time, though, it's still corrupted by the crystal. Mm. The Ruffnaw fears the holler bat call. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. I ain't no holler bat call. Yeah. No holler bat call. No. Uh, can you imagine one of those songs, yeah. <laughs> by Gwen Stefani. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, she calls him yeah. Spithead. Yes, yeah. Again, a little I like, dog, yeah. yeah. So calling Nietzsche, Nietzsche Spithead because he was just kind of hiding the whole time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's like, here you are in my bag, all curled up. Yeah. Little Spithead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Where were you on that one, Nietzsche? <laughs> Uh, yeah, and so, yeah, the Raphnel, you know, goes away, um, and then, and then they actually do a, you know, another dream fasting, um, which, uh, yeah, which, you know, again, another illustration by Corey Godby, which is a nice sort of, um, you know, sort of a different way of, I guess, uh, I guess, you know, Whereas in the film, like the dream fasting was sort of like a handshake sort of thing. Um, but in this one, they're sort of, you know, clasping their hands together, you know, in that mm. way. Well, like Jen, like yeah. Jen and Kira do. Yeah. yeah. So, I like yeah. the description. Yeah. I like the description he had. At first it was a trickle, like water drops gathering on a broad leaf. But soon the memories flowed like rain filling a river. I love that. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that they can actually withhold some information still mm-hmm. because she's very careful to keep the secret about Gurdjian. But at the same time, you know, she see, he sees most of the other things. That's just the one thing that she just holds back. And I it wonder, makes you wonder if, if they can sense that, if someone's like holding, if they're back. holding back. Well, mm-hmm. I also wonder, like, can you, if, if, so they can hold things back, but can they lie in a dream fast? Um, I don't know. It, I kind of get the feeling that they they can't really lie, but they can um just omit certain information. Possibly, it, almost like lying, just not say something integral to it. You know, show the things that they want to show, but not necessarily something that would be really crucial to knowing the truth. I'm not sure though. Yeah. That's something like, that wonder, we don't like, get into much here. Yeah, it's like can they can they make images appear that aren't that never happened? Like, hmm. I don't yeah. know, but I get the feeling they probably can't. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just. But like, that's just a feeling. I don't know. Yeah. Just be able to. Ho- the other thing that they can do is yeah, they can hold back certain aspects of I guess memories. Um. But I, feel, I don't know, I, I guess I'd feel like, you know, with dream fasting, you're like, you'd have to be pretty strong to be able to, you know, control what aspects of memories that you're going to share with one another. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like I like the illustration. It's got Tavra and um, Naya's father and the Nebri. And then you see um, the hunter. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. With a skull-like mask. Um, I guess that was, you know, his mother and father and himself in that vision as well, you know, mm. running, running away. Yeah. Yeah, it's a nice, a nice image there. Yeah, from, from Corey Godby. Um, the hunter in a cloak so black he was one with the night, pierced only by hateful red eyes behind a bone mask. He snatched Kylan's parents in his inky, inky embrace. His claws muffled their screams as he disappeared, leaving Kylan alone in the howling night. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so the the, the dream fast is they finish their dream fasting. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, no, it's like you know that there's a sickness in Thra. Um, that the the veins of the crystal veins of dark in the hearts of creatures, 
Um, and that's why, you know, yeah, yeah. that's why I I worry what might happen if if the sickness reaches the castle of the crystal when actually it's the other way around. Mm. Yes. Yeah. A little they know. Yeah. The Skeksis will protect the crystal. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ancient gods gave them the power to protect it when the castle was entrusted to them. Exactly. Um, yes. Yeah. That's where that line is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it would make sense since it seems like the Sprite, and even though they might not have much contact with the Skeksis, since they come to take a census, they probably do think that they've got, you know, the power to protect the crystal because they do seem so intimidating and so much more powerful than anything else that they've ever seen. So even though we know as the reader, ironically, that they're the ones that actually are corrupting the crystal, the Stridents are like, oh, you know, they're they're these great these great beings that the gods entrusted to keep the crystal so they'll be able to protect it. We don't need to worry about that, but you know we need to worry about what's going on out here, is what they seem to be thinking, or what uh, he seems to be thinking. I find uh, there's a interesting parallel between this and, uh, of all things, Castle Grayskull, uh, which <laughs> in some mm-hmm. uh, media are filled with crystals, but I mean it's the culmination of. Uh, an entire world and an entire universe, you know, that a castle is also the center of it and the place of control and supposedly where all things happen. But in this case, they're working backwards from their theory and they're heading towards the castle while not realizing they're heading towards the source of the sickness instead of to protect them from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, good point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think that, I guess that probably, um, wraps up, um, the discussion. Yeah, they basically, go ahead. Well, they basically, um, they have this nice little moment where everything is calm and beautiful. Yes. And despite what just happened, it's all peaceful at the moment, but she still has this thought of, I wonder what else is under there. Like what other creatures or shadowy arms of the deep. Yeah. Well, yeah. they have, they managed to avoid conflict in this instance, so they're getting better at handling danger and mm-hmm. doing it smart instead of just beating it until it goes away. Well, and her dream fasting ability with other creatures might also be getting better. Like yes. maybe it was her that killed the Nebri because of the dream fasting, whereas now she's already done it that one time before, and now maybe it's it's clearer what she needs to do like mentally slash physically to not kill (laughs) and control her power better. Yeah. I think Mm -hmm. this is a great spot just to, for the reader to take pause and think, okay, these two have got it going on. They know what's happening in terms of where they need to be and they need to journey there together. And it's, it's a perfect little, Oh, Okay, this is how it's yeah. going to which is great, and the reader needs that. They can't just be flung along the path with two characters willy-nilly. You know, they want to know that these two know what they're doing or at least have an idea of where they're going. And this mm-hmm. chapter is with us with that firm feeling in mind. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so I guess um, I guess we'll probably r- wrap up the uh, the discussion of Shadows of the Dark Crystal. Um, so yeah, again, I just want to say um, yeah, thank you so much for uh, participating in this uh, roundtable. Um, certainly, yeah, it was very interesting to, to go through um, the stories and um, talk about all things Dark Crystal. Um, so I just want to say mm-hmm. thank thank you, uh, Peter. And uh, I guess um, uh, where, where can people uh, find you, um, Peter? Um, currently, I'm working on my science fiction trilogy, uh, the Dwim Saga. Uh, that's got a website. It's uh, Dwim D W I M Saga dot com, and I write a monthly blog there, letting you know where I'm at. Excellent. And uh, and what about yourself, uh, Nancy Gray? Um, how can uh, people find you? Um, you can find me on Facebook, and you can also find me at nancygray.net, uh, which is my website, or nancygray.blogspot.com, which is my blog. And I'm currently uh, working on finishing my Blood Rain trilogy, which is a fantasy trilogy. That um, The books are in print now, and they, they are also available as an ebook. so... If anyone is interested in high fantasy, um, please check it out. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Um, yeah, yeah. So again, yeah, th- thank you all so much, and um, yeah, I think yeah, I had a great time chatting chatting about this book, and yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It was all it was all mm-hmm. great. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Cool. Yes, oh, thank yeah, you for look, having us. I look forward to the the rest of the discussions on this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's getting more and more towards the uh, the exciting, exciting parts. The parts that we've seen are just previews, so we get to see the the ball rolling, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. You've already taken too long, Delfling. Hurry! At last, the crystal calls. It is time. Time to return to the castle. The crystal calls. So that's all the time I have for this month's Trial by Stone. Um, if you want to get in contact with the show, you can do so at darkcrystalpodcast at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash darkcrystalpodcast. Or follow us on Twitter at Dark Crystal Pod. If you like the show and you think that others would love it, then please spread the word and even give us a five-star review on iTunes. I hope you all enjoyed the show and come back next month for more Trial by Stone.